Hey, everybody. This is uh, something new. Um, I'm here with Brian, um, but I'm joined by uh, a number of people, including Silke Gillison, who leads the APCCC, Prostate Cancer um, Group, um, which is a, a group which comes up with, uh, with guidelines and discusses controversial topics. And Brian and I, we're, we're forming this collaboration with this group to really address some complex prostate cancer issues. Silky, do you want to introduce the team you've brought along? One of them is an old friend of ours, and there's also Pete, who uh, Brian and I haven't had on the podcast before. Yes, of course. So APCC is a consensus conference, just to make that clear. So we're only discussing clinical questions where we don't have good evidence. So where it's always unclear in the tumor board what to do. So I introduce uh, my friend, Chris Sweeney, um, who's also in the scientific committee of APCCC and who works in Boston. I guess most of you know him and is a medical oncologist. And Pete Ost, he's a radio-oncologist also in the panel of APCCC and specialized in oligometastatic disease and he's working in Belgium. So we start with some questions for Pete. I don't know, Chris, do you want to start? I do actually, if it's okay. I'm going to um, put a, the question in context first and first of all say thank you to Tom and Brian for setting up this Euroamigos um, and as we try and branch out and address conundrums. And Dr. Ost, Pete has been doing some great work with doing SBRT. In fact, he was an early adopter of SBRT for um, pet-detected, choline-pet-detected metastatic disease. And so Pete's been doing this the longest of anyone I know, and he's been presenting, and I have to give him uh, credit for being an early adopter and developer, but also being very honest in his data. I'm going to start with a very provocative question to you, Pete. Do you think you've cured any patients with the SBRT? And if so, who do you think they are? And do you think you've hurt anyone by doing this new therapy? Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Silke. Thank you, Romigos, for having me on. Um, it's a real pleasure to discuss this topic. And thank you for starting off very controversial. I, I always like that. Um, to be honest, indeed, we started about 10 years ago uh, with our first experiences doing SBRT for oligometastatic disease and even a, a bit earlier in, in some cases, uh, but that was very, uh, very rare. Um, I believe we did cure patients, uh, but with cure, we probably mean that we rendered patients without disease for a period of time. Patients often relapsed and they had a, a, a new lesion where we again did SBRT or removal of the metastasis and they actually never needed any systemic therapy um, during their whole life course. So the question is, is this cured? Um, not sure. The majority of patients always have new relapses, but uh, a lot of them can still be treated with minimally invasive techniques and they still don't need systemic therapy. So if this is your what you consider as cure, I would say, yes, these patients do exist. Um, what proportion of patients do I believe uh, we, we, we can do that in at this time? I believe it will be around 20 to 30%, which is not that high, but those are the truly slow progressors. Um, 
they don't have, as far as I know, we don't we were we were not able to actually look at a specific phenotype um, of patients with the known clinical variables we have now. So at this time point, I can't say this or this type of patients will be surely be an oligometastatic case that you can treat with SBRT and will be potentially cured. So we don't have that knowledge now, but I do think we are getting very close. Um, with the novel biomarkers we are testing now. I can't uh, elaborate too much on that, but there's a lot of interesting research going on to really pinpoint who these slow progressors are. And can I, piggy, can I actually throw this back to our kidney colleagues um, and even bring in colorectal cancer? So to change practice in l- patients with colorectal cancer with liver metastases or renal cancer with isolated lung or brain metastasis, we feel comfortable with doing surgery for those patients based on a five-year disease-free survival rate of about that same number, Pete, that you described, 20%. So I just want to see what Brian and Tom think about this 20% number and, um, and why we feel comfortable with that from a registry data rather than phase three data as uh, the standard of care. Well, I, can, I think it was struggling kidney cancer. You know, you look at it and think, Ooh, I mean... I guess one of the difficulties with this is um, is around the ran, around randomized around randomized data and how you take things forward and 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 I mean Chris, it comes back to that issue about I can see why you would pursue this, but it's uh, I think prostate I think the perception is that 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 that's a we would need to have randomized data. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? So, so can I just go yeah, with here? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously um, very much for randomized data, and I think we're going to come back to that um, later. The problem is, come that in reality, when we did the APCCC, it wasn't even consensus on the definition of oligometastatic <laughs> disease. So it, that is all how it started. So I, I'm really interested to hear Pete. So there is the discussion, is it only for synchronous disease or only for metachronous disease? Does it include also including visceral metastasis or only bone and lymph node metastasis? Is the number three or less or five or less or anything? Um, so I, I think I give that back to Pete because I think sometimes we don't even know what we're talking about if we talk about oligometastatic prostate cancer. Yeah, that, that is completely correct. Um, first of all, I do think we have to differentiate between different prognostic groups. So, for example, when we see a patient with low volume disease, and I will discuss the numbers or exact criteria later on, the patient can be in prostate cancer, that is, be, be diagnosed with that disease, and that patient will have a different prognosis as compared to a patient who has had a local treatment several years without any treatment and then develops um, uh, a recurrence which is metastatic. That patient will have a better prognosis as compared to the first. And if you compare that now with a new setting which we're seeing that some of us are investing in and are doing um, new trials in is the uh, metastatic CRPC setting where we also see sometimes patients with low volume disease and there the, the same question holds true does it help to eradicate these lesions and um, what is the ultimate goal? But these patients also will have a very different prognosis as compared to the other two groups I already mentioned. So first of all, I think we always have to clearly indicate which type of patients are we discussing, in which disease stage is this patient situated. Pete, can I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Why can't you randomize? Oh, I think we can randomize and we are doing the randomized trials. 
So that is that is not the issue. Um, we are doing the trials. the The good thing for patients is that prostate cancer is uh, has a long disease history, and patients don't die that easily of their disease, especially oligometastatic patients. So for randomized data with endpoints like overall survival, if we start that in, for example, the recurrent setting, um, as we now done phase two trials in, in that setting, we will have to wait for at least a decade to have um, good overall survival data. The, it will be a bit different in the de novo setting um, and also the MCRPC setting where survival is is um, less favorable, but even then we will need follow-ups uh, higher than five years at but, least to come but, up with, with the answer. But Pete, I guess, I think Tom has a point, right? Because what, what is happening now, and we saw that also in the consensus conference, probably 50, 60% of our panelists do already what you want to test in a randomized trial. And that's always very difficult. And especially in Belgium, I have the feeling there are some people who are very clear that... Um, radiation of all the lesions should be done. And, and I guess Tom is totally right with that. That makes probably randomization much more difficult because there's a lot of hype for doing something where we don't have a lot of data. And maybe you could um, just like elaborate a bit for our listeners what kind of phase three mm -hmm. trials are ongoing right now in that indication. Yeah, first of all, I, I completely agree. Um, with both Tom and, and you, we, we need to do the randomized trials. And I think, um, and, and maybe I was a bit guilty, guilty of that as well. We created a <laughs> hype around <laughs> oligometastatic <laughs> disease. But for me, that hype was necessary to be able to do the randomized trials. Because when we started out, uh, everybody thought we were crazy going after uh, SBRT, going after the Mets, even in a randomized setting. Um but I think in a, in, in a well-controlled trial, the idea is, is still good. Um, however, some of us um, have taken that hype as an excuse to treat patients outside clinical trials. And then it becomes uh, very difficult. For example, in a situation like Belgium and, and a lot of Euro other European countries, how can you convince a patient to undergo randomization between standard of care versus standard of care plus SBRT if you're already offering SBRT off-trial? Uh, to that patient. It, it makes randomization virtually impossible. So what you're doing there is we as physicians, we're shooting ourselves in our own foot, although <laughs> we, we want to come up with the evidence, although it will take a long time. So what I try to do is all the patients we treat in, in, in uh, our center currently either go in a registry, uh, which is an ERTC registry, or go in a specific clinical trial uh, in the setting they are currently at. And for example, in the MCRPC setting, we don't have a trial running. So in that setting, we even don't perform SBRT, although I know some of my colleagues are even outside trials, which I think is not a good way to move forward. Um, so I think the hype for me was necessary to be able to discuss the topic and to do the randomized trials, to get the attention of grant organizations, to get the attention of companies to be able to do the work we need to do. Don't forget, it's not easy if you don't have a big company behind you to run mm -hmm. these very expensive trials. And that's something in radiation, which is always difficult. So as for trials that are currently recruiting, there are several ones in different settings. So you have both phase two and phase three trials running in the novo metastatic uh, prostate cancer. The, the biggest ones um, are 
probably now Stampede, Arm M, which is going to open. We have the Platon trial in Canada, I believe. There's one of the trials of Brian Chapin um, running in the US. So those are very big trials where mm-hmm. um, big countries can already recruit in. in. In the UK, you have the core trial, which was recruiting, uh, and I believe over 200 patients as a phase two that will deliver its results. Um, I believe in 2021. So in that setting, recruit as much as you can in those trials. If you're not a center that is eligible, try to uh, be able to register your patients in a registry because that will generate new hypothesis. In the recurrent setting as well, there are phase two and phase three trials running. So we will have some evidence there. In MCRPC at this time point, I am aware of uh, several phase two trials running, but not phase three um, as far as I'm aware. And the majority of these trials randomized between standard of care versus standard of care plus SBRT, which I think is the correct approach. Hey, can I, can I? Yes. Yeah, sure. Chris, Go. I just want to try, try and get a bit more provocative. Um, there are some patients who basically just never want to see ADT or delay it for as long as possible because men like testosterone. Do you think there is a possible scenario for the patient you're d- describing where they're demanding SBRT of sorts? Where it could be a trial yeah, of we, SPRT yeah, so we, versus yeah. systemic therapy plus SPRT? Yeah, so we, we are going to do that in Belgium. We are yeah. uh, Because we are aware that a lot of patients are already very fearful for ADT for several reasons. Um, most often also they, they, they have become fearful because of physicians uh, treat yeah. them that way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, something we should not forget. Um so we are going to do a trial SBRT versus SBRT plus dar- darolutamide mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and for patients with recurrent uh, metastatic disease um, who are picked up by PSMA PET-CT. So that's very early on. They will have very low uh, PSA levels and very minimal disease. So in that specific setting, I think it's still okay to not give ADT because we are still supported by the European guidelines that in asymptomatic patients who are conventionally imaged negative, we don't have to give um, uh, ADT at this time point. And, and these will be those type of patients. Uh, so in that setting, it, it might be that we will be able to deliver a treatment which is, more, which is better than before, but we have added some systemic therapy. And I do believe that there is a niche for these patients with the novel um, androgen receptor pathway inhibitors to fill that need that we can improve what we're doing with with our SBRT, but also render them uh, for a longer period disease-free, which I think is also important because our results are good with SBRT only, but not that good. Pete, I've got a question for you. So listen, it sounds to me like you're adopting different technologies in prostate cancer be it either by detection or treatment modalities, which look terrific uh, and have a shiny surface, but haven't been robustly tested in a randomized trial. Um, Are you going to end up in a situation where, and it comes back to what Silky said before, we don't know what micrometastatic disease is. um, We don't know who should be having SABRE and people have just adopted it as standard of care. Is there a danger that prostate cancer will become, you know, the wild west with very little randomized data and lots of new technologies, all of which we think are helpful, but none of them are proven to help. Uh, t- to be honest, I'm 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 not afraid of that. If I look at the the big trials that are running, I think we will have the solid evidence or the evidence that it doesn't work. The uh, the thing what we've been doing in the past, for example, we used coline PET CT. Um, at this time point, if you start a new trial, I'll 
I, I believe you have you should start with PSMA Patsy. And and that is the one of the big issues in Europe that novel technologies, also imaging technologies, don't need the same robust evidence as, for example, drugs or biomarkers to, to be available in clinical practice. So we are being confronted with novel imaging. Uh, which you can get anywhere, um, especially in in Europe, and now also in two centers in the U.S. Um, so we 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 are getting better at seeing metastases earlier. So our lead time uh, does uh, does get different, but we are also getting closer to that true oligometastatic patient. But but to Pete, I think you you're opening up a very important problem that we now see more and more patients coming in with staging, especially high-risk patients, with a staging with PSMI PET-CT. Uh, am I still that there? shows some mini... Yeah, yes, Pete, you're good to go. Some, some, some mini metastasis. Um, you know, am I still... Do you still hear me? The patient... Yeah, we do. Yeah, ah, okay, sorry. We can hear. Uh, yeah. I got an, yeah, yeah. an, an, an another yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we always that. have problems. Um, with so the I do believe that that, that we the problem is, of course, our technology. But I do think we will. We now know that we should implement it in in randomized trials, and that's the only way to move forward to avoid this wild wild west, which you, you were alluding to, Tom. So I'm I'm not afraid of it, but I think we should be very, and everybody should keep us. Um, uh, on, on the, the tip of our toes to ensure that we're not heading toward that wild, wild west. But, but Pete, the, the last question that I want to ask you, the problem is, and we have discussed that before, that now we see much more patients with localized prostate cancer, mostly high risk, who get PSMA PET CTs as their staging. And we see some little metastasis um, and and now patients are not treated as curative any longer. So what do you think about that? Because I think this is a problem now with the new, more accurate staging that we haven't solved. Yeah, for, that that is true. So PSMA PET CT. Um, so, so what we what we used to be doing is we we rendered patients as potentially curative with conventional imaging. So if you had no metastasis on imaging, you were potentially. Uh, cured with local therapy. However, we know that a proportion of these patients actually isn't cured. We now know that on conventional imaging, if your disease load is limited to less than five bone mats in prostate cancer, you still need your primary treated with radiotherapy. So what we are going to see now is with the introduction of PSMA in this setting, we will render a proportion of patients who are conventional imaging negative, we will make them positive. Um, but still, in, in, in my feeling, these patients still need local radiotherapy because their conventionally imaging is negative. So we will still be giving them ADT, radiotherapy. And the question now is, do we add something on top of that? Um, do we treat them as we um, would consider them as low-volume metastatic? And for example, add abiraterone or docetaxel or epilutamide or whatever. And I believe if we start doing that we should be doing that in a randomized trial, we might actually not only be moving away from simple stage migration towards really improving uh, patient survival. Um, so I think that is the correct way how we should be using a PSMA PET. So all patients who are conventionally imaging negative, and I don't care how many meds they have on, on the PSMA PET, still need local radiotherapy with ADT. The true question is, what do they need on top? Right, but the local radiotherapy, like radical 
local Correct. Turkey, obviously, and not only what they had in in Stampede, for example, for the for the metastatic setting. I think this is important. To yeah, for, for Stampede, the dose was was fairly okay. Uh, they used the chip trial and uh, the chip trial data um, and the six times six schedule. I, I think we can do better because these are high risk patients. So I think yes. we should indeed ablate right. or give a higher dose, completely correct, especially in those conventionally imaging negative patients. We should really use the standard of care radiotherapy schedule for those specific patients. Exactly. Correct. And maybe even add the lymph nodes if you see them in the well, PSMA, right? Yeah. So, so that is the big question True. now. So would you do that or not? Because we can't do no. this. And, and there was actually so. very interesting data um, actually shown this weekend during the ASTRO Congress, mm -hmm. where they indicated that for high-risk patients with more than a 20% chance of having positive lymph nodes, if you do a PSMA PET and the PET is negative, they randomized between radiotherapy to the prostate or radiotherapy prostate plus the pelvic nodes. And it was the including the pelvic nodes, was actually showing us a better biochemical recurrence-free survival, which is a very early endpoint, but the results were very, very mm -hmm. impressive. So there, that already clearly indicates that PSMA PET misses a lot of microscopic mm -hmm. disease, especially in the pelvis, because otherwise radiotherapy to the prostate should be good enough in PSMA-negative patients, but it appears to be that it still misses a, a, a lot of, of disease. So the inclusion of the pelvic lymph nodes will be necessary in high-risk patients who are PSMA PET negative and the ones who have PSMA positive disease in the pelvis probably also need it. And that is an, an additional question where we still don't know the answer. Right. Can, I, can I finish off with one last question to go back to where we began? Far away, yep. Chris, far away. Yeah, so here it is. So we started off saying, Pete, and I think you're right, that we do cure some patients with SBRT, which is great. And we've had 20 minutes of discussing who they could possibly be and how to find them. Unknown, not great. But with these studies of systemic therapy plus or minus the SBRT, if we ask curing some of these patients, are we condemning men for 10, 15 years of castration where they may actually not need any further therapy beyond, say, two years? That is completely correct, especially for the de novo metastatic patients. We are now uh, having some of them that are running into complications of their ADT, where we actually interrupted the ADT because there was no disease anymore on any of the scans. PSMA is almost undetectable. Um, so I do believe that we, we should come up with, with smarter trial designs also to limit the duration of ADT and time, especially for these long-term survivors. Um, and these are these oligometastatic patients. So it might be a very good idea, even maybe give, and that, that's maybe very provocative, give ADT for one to two years and maybe continue with the androgen receptor pathway inhibitor only uh, because it will give less toxicity, testosterone will recuperate, but you kill, still keep uh, a part of the pathway uh, still suppressed. So that might also be a good idea or stop it uh, all the way. Pete, you've been a great guest. I think Tom and Brian even want to come to APCCCC now. Yeah, I, I hope so. Can you, can you hear me? Yeah, Tom. Okay. Yes. Oh, great. So listen, I, th I think I died. I, I, you couldn't hear me for a bit there. My voice was muted. I don't know if you found a way of doing that, which is very clever. <laughs> <laughs> because, that doesn't mean uh, Yeah, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, very frustrating. But I've managed to calm down now, which is great news. Um, listen, Pete, this has been terrific. Um, I think... Um, 
it sounds to me like uh, this meeting is one that I need to come to. I remember the last meeting, Silky, if I'm correct, there was a wonderful uh, a trip uh, uh, in the river. Was it the Rhone or the... Uh... Yes. Oh, no, this is Rhine. the Rhine. The Rhine, right. The I'm Rhine. Sorry. Yeah, I'm the sorry. Rhine swimming. Yeah, so uh, I think it is a meeting... Yeah, you have I'm... some very nice photos of you in your bathing suit. Yeah, which uh, I've managed to <laughs> manage to remove from circulation. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> this has been terrific. Uh, and um, let's get another one of these going really soon. Pete, thank you so much for your time. I think it sounds like that great things are happening in this area and, uh, and we need to keep an eye on it. And I can see why it's so hard to reach a consensus because there are two sides to this story. Correct. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. 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 Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.